If you have a Bible this evening or a copy of the scriptures electronically, we're going to be back in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. We're actually going to read a couple of more verses tonight, moving a little bit more into this chapter um, for, the, for these, those verses down near the end of the, this opening section will will come to bear uh, with our, our message tonight. This is the word of the Lord. It's uh, John chapter 1, beginning here at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out that, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Please, O God, would you instruct us in your word tonight. We ask for your spirit's help and strengthening. Illumine our hearts, illumine our minds. We entrust ourselves to you, Lord. We entrust ourselves to you for instruction, for training, for that furthering of believing and trusting in Christ and walking with him. We ask your blessing here in Jesus' name. Amen. Good Shepherd Church, it's my hope that over the next two to three Sundays, we're going to give some focus to what our purpose is. And that is to say, we're still being, uh, we're, we're going to still be doing sermons in the matter of our sonship in Christ and our adoption. Uh, but I'd like to give some focus to the matter of purpose and how that can continue to clarify our service as adopted sons and daughters. You know that the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it opens up on a big, per- big picture question. It's a big picture question about purpose. You remember that question, what is man's chief end? And man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. There you go. Uh, the Westminster Catechism starts off this whole matter is, what is the big picture that God is about? What is the big picture that man is to be about? And that is to glorify the Lord and to enjoy Him. We must always keep the big picture in view. 
the big picture of God's story, the sweep of God's story. Uh, we're to keep it in view for the day-to-day living that we're, we're called to do. So once again, right back here in John chapter 1, I'd like to highlight two more lessons, even as we have an eye now on the big picture of the Lord's doings, the big picture of our purpose. What is the chief end of man? Uh, Two more lessons here from the passage. We want to look at the big picture of the world, our place of being sons and daughters in the world, and the big picture of the Word. So the world and the Word. We're going to be asking questions. Where do we fit in? In what way should we serve as sons and daughters? Again, let's look at this first area, the big picture of the world. And I draw your attention to verses 3 and 4. John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. All things were made through Him. And without Him uh, was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the light was the light of men. Now, John's Gospel is opening up to us this big picture of creation. The big picture of the world. And we've already seen the last, I mean, you've had both hands on the wheel, right? You've had both hands on the wheel. You've been strapped in with your seatbelt, right? Eyes open, ears open. As you've gone through these last three or four sermons, we have stressed how John is stressing that we are to be grounded in the eternal sonship of Jesus Christ, all right? Uh, We have spent some time on that, that Jesus is the eternal one existing with the Father and with the Spirit, He's named here with the eternal Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And then what's linked in here next? That Christ's existence, His eternal, His eternality with the Father and the Spirit, He is about the decree and the act of creation. John is taking us back to God's creation. We have these words of Genesis 1. And these words of Genesis 1 are shared by the Father and by the Son and by the Spirit. Remember those words back in Genesis 1. And God said. And God called. Remember those words. And God saw. You see. That same summoning, those words of summoning creation into existence are words shared by Jesus. They are Christ's words. And some reinforcement about this. Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. He's called the word. In the beginning was the word. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. So what are we to see here then? Big picture themes. What's my purpose, Lord? What's my purpose in being a daughter of the most high king? What are we to see? Grasping the purpose for which Jesus came into the world is fortification. It's fortification for a greater grasp of what? His control, His authority, and His presence in your life. As sons and daughters, as you meander your way, we say sometimes, as we journey through life, you are not on your own. Christ is Lord in the creation. Christ has designed the creation. Christ has orchestrated, we know from Acts chapter 17, that he appointed the times and the seasons where a man or a woman would dwell. The boundaries that he set 
where we would live and, 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 then the, and then the span of that man's life or that woman's life. Christ is Lord in the creation. But there's a bit more here. With Jesus coming here in this introductory language that this is the gospel, that's what it is. With the gospel being set out for us, John, the gospel writer, is assuming that there is the sin problem in this world. That's the whole assumption about the gospel. That is to say, the world is suffering the consequences of the first man, the first woman, losing that perfect communion with God. You see, in man's sin, he fell from that perfect fellowship, and the creation now suffers this whole fallout with man's sin. That's being assumed. That's why we have the good news of Jesus. It is being assumed that there's a sin problem in the world. But how big, how big is the big picture of the gospel? If we assume the sin problem, and we, we rightly so, that's what the scripture teaches. Man fell into sin. And that curse is now faced upon the whole earth and all the, all the generations that follow from, from Adam. We assume the sin problem, but how big is the big picture of the gospel? That is one thing that John is driving home to us. How big is it? Jesus has come to usher in the onset of something brand new. He's come to usher in the onset of something brand new. There's a new creation that he is about. That's why John captures this language. In the beginning was the word. He is bringing a new creation. Let's drive it home. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. The clouds are his chariot. The seas get their marching orders from him. Like back in the book of Job, Job 38. He shut the sea with doors. He prescribed limits for this and set bars and doors for the sea. And he said, thus far you shall come and no farther. And here shall, be your, here shall your proud waves be stayed. This is the God of heaven and earth. This is the God of heaven and earth that is about the big picture of his gospel work of bringing in a new creation. His dominion is from horizon to horizon. And I think one way that we can try to grasp the significance of this is to think about how big Christ's salvation is with John 1, 1 kept in mind. How big is it? Watch this. John's gospel does not begin, the book of Genesis does not begin this way. It doesn't begin, Jesus Christ can save you. It doesn't begin that way. It starts out in the beginning. <laughs> so let me ask you, how creation-rooted, how creation-comprehensive is your view of Christ's saving work? Here's the point. His salvation is not a salvation that is material-less. His salvation is not creation-empty. And so you're not to think to yourself that his salvation is the salvation that is airy, unseen, invisible, vaporous. Do you follow that? 
Are you an earthly Christian? Are you a materialistic son in your life of your sonship in Christ? Are you an earthly daughter of the king? Verse 10 has it for us in John's Gospel, chapter 1 here. He was in the world. He was in the world. Can you imagine that God could have stayed in heaven? Sons and daughters, here is my salvation. But he didn't do that. He steps out of the glories of heaven, assumes humanity, human flesh, in the person of his son, and Jesus is born. (laughs) Born of the virgin, and then to live among the sons of men. He was in the world, verse 10, and the world was made through him. Listen to Colossians chapter 1. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He came for a cosmic rescue. He came for the big, big, B-I-G, really big picture of salvation. I've been walking with the Lord, even though I was raised in the church as a little boy. I was baptized when I was probably six, seven years of age. A little boy when I was baptized. So I was raised in the church as a little boy. Uh, believing that God worked in my heart in my later teens in my life uh, to bring me to salvation. But I, I'm, I'm eager to confess tonight to you that for the vast majority of my Christian life, I have lived with more of, a, of an airy, invisible, unseen kind of salvation. <laughs> God has been working on my heart the last 10, 12, 15 years to be more concerned about Christianity being rooted in history. Christianity being rooted in, in matters of his faithfulness to generations of generations of generations to generations. Grounded in the scriptures. We'll look at that in just a second, a little bit more. But um, I, I, I have been, you know, sadly, I, I just confess to you folks tonight, I, I, I have been bent largely on a discipleship that is largely inward. And I've neglected, it was R.C. Sproul who, who frankly is one of the key ones that tipped me off on this. And he tipped me off on one of his tapes back then, a tape, now you know, digital recording, but a tape where he talks about the importance that the hope of the Christian, the hope of the Christian is the resurrection of the body. <laughs> I thought it was just getting born again, (laughs) right? Very illuminating to my heart and life. Listen to a few more verses. The heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he's given to the sons of men. And even Christ's salvation, he will address false teachers. He will address false teachers. There are those who take up what Paul will tell us would be the doctrines of demons, There are false teachers. Paul will tell Timothy, there are those who are liars, whose consciences are seared. This is 1 Timothy chapter 4. So how are they liars? What is their doctrine of demons? What are they doing? They forbid marriage, that earthly thing, that earthly institution, that sacred bed of sexuality. They forbid marriage. It's earthly. 
And they require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving, for it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. You see, your life as sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, your life is placed in the cosmic work of the new creation. Salvation in Christ encompasses renewal such as, in these kinds of applications now, in life's calling. You sometimes, I will sometimes, will refer to things other than the sacred ministry, will sometimes refer to a secular calling. True enough, sure enough. But God is the one who calls us into such work with gifts and temperaments and training and life experience. And such secular callings are redeemed in the Lord. They're consecrated over to the Lord. We offer thanksgiving through our lives in all of life, not merely in the sacred, right? We've heard that. But that's, that's flowing out of Christ coming as the incarnate living God. He came into the world. And the world was made through him. I like a, I'll stop right here on this point and we'll move on. But I like Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting. What is it, he says? Is to eat and to drink and to find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. And what? To accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This too is the gift of God. Wonderful truths for us, right? And so the cosmic work of Christ coming into the world and bringing a new creation, the onset, I want to underscore that, it's the onset of the new creation is that he's gathering his people unto himself and setting them apart then for service in this life. Just as he served his father in this life, we serve in his grace and by faith in this life as well. Big picture, big picture. Then the second area is the word. Look at verses 6 and following here. A focus now on the big picture of the word. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about that light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone is coming, was coming into the world. I'd like you to run your eyes on down then to, let's see here, verse 15. Uh, the gospel writer picks up the language again about John the Baptist. Look at verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John in his gospel here is not only reminding us of the big picture of creation, the world, Christ redeeming the cosmic focus of salvation in the world. He also is giving focus to the role of the word, the big picture of the role of the word. And it comes in this language here of 
this witness, this one bearing testimony. It's John the Baptist. Uh, we have that language here. There was a man, verse 6, sent from God, whose name was John. And he came, what? As a witness. And so John, in these opening verses, is also stressing that Jesus, who has been sent forth here, he is the one who is what? The living word. And he now, what, is bringing the teaching of the way of the Lord. After all, right, the disciples and others of the crowd will say he teaches with authority. He's the prophet. One of the times, one of the most, uh, most referred to titles for Jesus in the Gospels is teacher. He's the teacher. So what's happening here? John is helping us to see that this living word, Jesus, is also getting linked in with what the role of the word has been throughout Old Testament history. We're, we're, we're being called to examine once again that this one who's coming, named the word, this one who's coming as the living word, is is backed up, is reinforced by Old Testament history of those who would bear testimony of him. There's a link back in history with the role of the word. And Jesus is being introduced to us, being linked in to that history. What history? Servants of God who have come to testify of the coming Christ. What role of the word? It's the role to present truth, that the light would soon dawn, that the one known as the light uh, would bring illumination. Uh, John came, we're told here, that he might bear witness about the light. Now, in our passage, there are two names that come up. <laughs> there are two names that are mentioned. They are the names John, we assume it's the Baptist, because we have that language here uh, down at verse 15 about that he must decrease and he must, it's that language, and he must increase, words of John the Baptist. But there's a second name, and it's down at verse 16, verses 16 and 17. And from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. Here it is, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What is John doing? What is the gospel writer doing introducing Jesus this way? It is not by accident that the primary role of the word is that it's linked back into the big picture of its role down through Bible history. This link is looking back at the Old Testament. If Moses is the head of the prophets then John the Baptist is the last one. <laughs> John is at the end of the old world of the Old Testament prophets. He's at the end of the old world. We're told here, he's not the light, but he's going to be witness. He's going to witness to, to the light. And he would be right in accord with the Old Testament prophets. That's why that language is there. He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Just like the prophets of old, they were but a mouthpiece. 
they were to stand to the side. God would be speaking through a weak vessel. It would be God's voice that would be heard. And so John must decrease and Jesus would increase. John would later say, I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What is John doing? John is preparing the way. But so is Moses. Moses is a prophet. Moses is tethered to the word of God. He hand carried the two tablets. We know the story. He hand carried the two tablets of the law. He taught. He shepherded. He was the prophet of Israel. He spoke forth the words of life for Israel of old. And Moses was a preparer too. Someone greater came after Moses. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what is the big picture concerning the word that we should see? I always like the phrase, or the, or the, what is called the, uh, the KISS principle. Remember that? The KISS principle. Keep it simple, son. Remember that one? <laughs> you like that? I like that too. What's the big picture concerning the word? Keep it simple, Mark. Christ is the center and God is faithful. That's the big picture of the role of the word. Christ is the center of the word. And God is faithful with his word down through the generations. How do we know this from this passage? John is at the end of that old world of the Old Testament prophets. And Jesus is being linked right back in to that line of the prophets. Way back, way back. The first man, Adam, who would be the, the first prophet, priest, and king. But he would fall into sin. Then Noah, then Abraham, on down through. Certainly Moses is here mentioned for us. Because he's, he's such a, a summary head of all the Old Testament. But on down through... Samuel and kings and chronicles and the divided kingdom and, and the time of exile. And those, those, those prophets of both major and minor prophets, we say. John the Baptist is at the end of that line and Jesus is linked in. And what is the focus? Christ is at the center. If you just turn back one page, just one page in your Bible to Luke 24, Jesus says the exact same thing. Remember, he catches up with those two disciples. They're discouraged. It's the day of resurrection, and they're discouraged. He catches up with them on the road to Emmaus. He's talking to them about the conversation that they're having. And they thought at verse 21, they hoped that this one would be the one to redeem Israel. Verse 22, moreover, some women of our uh, company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had not even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Um, verse 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not, him they did not see. Now watch what Jesus says. And he said to them, O foolish ones, verse 25, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus himself is referring back to the Old Testament. Christ is the center. Of course, that gets expanded on with his own disciples in the same chapter. 
that he begins with the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that these things must be fulfilled concerning me, Jesus says. The second part of this big picture is that God is faithful. God is faithful. He's faithful working through his word. I won't have you turn there, but just remember the story of Jesus. I'm going to close on this. Remember the story of Jesus in the temptation scene, Matthew chapter 4. He's led out to the wilderness by the Spirit, and there he's tempted for those 40 days. And the tempter comes to him. And in those three temptations, remember, Jesus will use those words, it is written, it is written. If the big picture is the centrality of Christ in all scripture, the other aspect of the big picture is that God is faithful with his word. Jesus employs the promises of God. It is written. Jesus employs the commandments of God. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. It is written. And Jesus is sustained. The angels will accompany him and minister to him but he submits himself to the word of God. So as sons and daughters, when you think about the centrality of Christ, you think about the faithfulness of God with his word, and we're sons and daughters. I don't know about you, but I need to continue to go back to my father as a son, go back to my father, my heavenly father, and take him my questions in the scriptures. Father, why is this happening? Father, is your guidance intended this way? Father, why do I continue to wrestle with this particular sin issue in my life? These are lessons of sonship. These are lessons of being a daughter. But we're being taught by these introductory paragraphs in John chapter 1 that the centrality is to go back to Christ and to go back to the fact that our God is faithful with his word. So as we wrestle, as we have the twists and turns of life, the hardships in life, we go back to Christ and we go back to the fact that God is faithful with his word. Let's pray. Lord, this week you have called us into this world to serve you and we pray that by your spirit and by your grace, all according to your word, that we'd be faithful to the tasks that you've given us. Lord, you've given us training, experience, life experience. You've given us your son, the Lord Jesus. And so as sons and daughters, we long to serve him faithfully in this world, that more and more of Christ would be seen in this world. Indeed, O oh Lord, the earth is the Lord's in its fullness. Help us, we pray, in our discipleship in Christ to further that truth that all belongs to Christ. We ask in his name. Amen.